Healing Wounds from the sermon series, Soul Care, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Good morning, Metro, and happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving Sunday. It would be ideal if we were all together. We usually have about seven, 800 pounds of turkey that we usually devour as a community and really break bread together. And I'm sorry that's not able to happen this year simply because of the pandemic. But I do hope that next year will be a very different story. We can all gather again together on a Thanksgiving Sunday and celebrate uh, God's goodness upon our lives. When I was in high school, uh, the sort of the choice of sport that I decided to participate in all throughout my high school years is actually wrestling. And it's not because I liked wrestling. I actually hated the sport. There was not one little thing I liked about wrestling. I didn't like it at all. But the reason why I chose to wrestle was because um, it was the most popular sport in my school. Our team were state sectional champions, and everyone who wrestled were kind of like in the cool crowd. And not that I wanted to be cool necessarily, but the high school that I attended was a pretty racist high school. And I just didn't want the kids to make fun of me anymore. I didn't want my peers to make fun of me because I was Asian, because I was Korean American. And so I decided to participate in wrestling. In all honesty, I was a below average wrestler. I wasn't a very good wrestler. That means I lost more matches than I actually won. But the irony of it all is that uh, in practice, I was actually pretty good. I actually was able to hold my own. In fact, in practice, I was able to beat some of the wrestlers who were county champions. And my coaches could not figure me out. They were like scratching their head. They said, how is this guy good in practice? But in the real match, he was horrible. They couldn't figure out what was the reason behind it. They didn't know what it was. But I did. I knew what it was. When I was in practice, these people that I would wrestle were like my friends. They were just people that I knew, I had a relationship with. We were together every day practicing together. But when I was wrestling an opponent that I didn't know, It felt too much like a fight to me. And that experience took me back to when I was a kid where my father was physically abusive towards me when he was drunk. And it took me back to those moments where oftentimes when I would wrestle in a match, I was paralyzed, completely paralyzed by it. And the more aggressive my opponent became, the more paralyzed I would become. Those matches in many ways, it felt like kryptonite to me because I had wounds that were still not healed. My past wounds that never healed impacted the way I lived my life. I was a timid and angry, fearful, and a weak kid growing up, even a teenager. And in many ways, when I entered into situations like a wrestling match, I often felt the strength just leave me because there was such a deep sense of fear because those wounds were not healed. I know that during this series of soul care, there has been so much that might have been surfacing that maybe you have never really wanted to surface up again in your life. I know it's been hard for some of you. And I'm just so proud of the journey that we've taken as a church for the past four or five weeks now. And today we're going to continue in this journey, and this is a hard one, healing wounds. How do we get to a place where we can heal from our wounds? And some of us don't even want healing because we're too scared to even go back. And I totally totally resonate with you. But I'm going to encourage you to stay with me on this today. Because on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we're about to embark on a holiday season where we have to embrace a quarantine. I don't know if you know this, but during the Christmas season, uh, it's some of the most depressing times of the year. Suicide is at the all-time highest during this season, every single year. And I can only imagine it getting worse because of this pandemic because our unhealed wounds oftentimes 
They don't ask for permission. They just invade our lives during times like this. And I want you to stick with me because I think God has a very special message for you today. The two questions that I want to answer is number one, why do my wounds need healing? Because some of you don't believe it does. You have sort of been able to kind of not focus on your wounds for many years, maybe decades in your life, and you've been able to survive in some ways and been able to be quite successful in your life. So it's an important question to ask, why do my wounds need healing? We're going to talk about that. We're going to answer that. And then the last part that I want to answer is, how do we begin to take the journey where we we can begin to heal from the wounds that we've sustained in our lives. Every single one of us have gone through wounds. We've sustained it. We've been the recipient of somebody doing an evil act towards us. And as a result of that, we've experienced wounds. No one can live life here on earth completely unscathed of wounds. So we've all gone through it. How do we begin the journey to heal from it? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if we could just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we come to you today and I ask you, Lord, that you just speak to us deeply. This is not easy. And God, for a brother or sister that might be watching right now, where this is something that they, this is a place where they don't want to go. God, I just pray for a double portion of your presence to be upon their lives today, this morning. And God, that they would see your hand so clearly reaching out wanting to grab theirs, to enter this journey with them, a painful journey perhaps for their wounds to be healed. God, I can't do this. There's no way I can. So I'm going to really need you. And so I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts watching today, I pray that it would be holy and pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why do our wounds need to be healed? It's a real important question for us to answer because a lot of us, we don't necessarily believe that we need to take this journey for our wounds to be healed. The first reason why our wounds need healing is because we will have a disproportionate reaction when someone comes near it. Have you ever had a wound and somebody comes near that wound? Many times we have a disproportionate reaction. Years ago, I used to play a lot of basketball and I sprained my ankle one time. I sprained it so bad that I couldn't work for a whole month. I was in crutches for a month. The first few weeks were incredibly painful for me. Whenever my sister or my mother would come near my ankle, I would have a disproportionate reaction and I would shout and say, get away, don't even come near my ankle. That's what happens when we have an unhealed wound. When somebody gets near it, we have a disproportional reaction to it. And that's kind of what happened to me in wrestling. When I enter into a wrestling match, I could have used some of my skills to try to do the best I can. But I couldn't because I had a disproportionate reaction because of an unhealed wound, paralyzed me in fear, and I couldn't perform the way even my coaches expected me to perform. I had a disproportionate reaction. When you and I have a disproportionate reaction towards unhealed wounds, what we often do then is we create sort of a false sense of self, an imposter, because we don't want anyone to come near our wounds. And we create this false sense of self, and that's a real dangerous place to be because then you go on living your life incredibly lonely no matter how many friends you think you have. No matter how many people follow you on Instagram or on Facebook or on TikTok, whatever those things are called now, you are incredibly lonely because you realize that these unhealed wounds that you have, that you have basically separated yourself from anyone that is a part of your life. We have a disproportionate reaction when we have unhealed wounds. The first reason why. 
Haven't you had one of those moments where sometimes somebody said something and it wasn't really that serious, but you just had this disproportionate reaction and you blew up on the person? And you wonder, what's going on here? Why did I just behave like this? Why am I so angry right now? It's because there's an unhealed wound, a disproportionate reaction. Second reason why our wounds need healing is because we are unable to live in healthy relationships. That's it. Because we have, these, this, we have a disproportionate reaction when somebody comes near our wounds, at, the be- at best, our relationships are superficial. We cannot live in healthy relationships because our wounds prevents us from living in healthy relationships. What is your purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? It really is the great commandment, isn't it? It's to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Your purpose isn't just to work and make a lot of money and be successful. Your purpose, the reason why God put you on this earth is so that you can have an intimate relationship with him and with other people in this world. And through that, there's a synergy that happens where you begin to live out the purpose in which God put you on this earth for. And it's to be in healthy relationship with him and with other people. That's our purpose. But when you have unhealed wounds, you are not able to live in healthy relationships with other people. They are superficial at best. Why? Because at the end of the day, you see yourself as a victim. You find your identity as a victim. This is a dangerous place to be. When you, are, when you have unhealed wounds, what begins to happen is whenever you enter into any relationship, you see yourself as a victim. And what happens? You find your identity in that, but then you also always blame the other person for the wrong in the relationship. How do you know that you're struggling with your identity being one of a victim? is when you constantly blame the other person. In a marriage, you're always blaming your spouse for the ill of your relationship. In any kind of friendship or family relationship, you're always blaming the other person. You never take blame for yourself. Why? Because you have unhealed wounds and you're finding your identity as a victim. Metro, hear me on this. If you find your identity as being a victim, you're never going to be able to embrace the true identity that God has given to you, which is a child of God. You are unable to live into that identity because you see yourself as a victim. Listen, you have been victimized, yes, but you are not a victim. Yes, you have been victimized, but you are not a victim. One of the most beautiful things that Rob says in his book in Soul Care, you are not a victim, you have been victimized, yes, but you are not a victim because you are a child of God. The goal is for us to enter into a pathway where we can begin to heal from our wounds. All right, before we can talk about how do we do it, let's first lay down the theology of pain, theology of wounds. I think that's important to lay as a foundation before we go into how do we sort of take steps into healing. Uh, Let's turn turn with me to Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. Now this is Jesus he's talking about, the prophet Isaiah. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we can be healed. Powerful, powerful passage. Isaiah writes this 600 years before Jesus Christ even enters into the picture. 
And what the gospel message is really about in its full holistic sense is that it isn't just about Jesus Christ forgiving us of our sins, which is a big part of why Christ came and died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead. It's to forgive us of our sins if we should ask for it. It's to have a relationship with God. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's also to make us whole. That whatever wounds we've sustained in our lives, which we have, that because of Jesus Christ, his hope is that through his love, through his grace and mercy, you would experience wholeness. That word in the Hebrew is shalom, peace. That God wants you to have peace with the wounds that you have sustained in your life. He was whipped so that we can be healed. God longs for you to be healed because part of the gospel message isn't just to forgive you of your sins and you can go to heaven when you die, but it's to make you whole today, to have peace, even in those deep, dark places that you've had to encounter in your life, to bring healing. The word pain in the Hebrew is a very holistic word. It has a spiritual, physical, and an emotional component to it. Read the book of Psalm. When you read the book of Psalm, you'll see that it's, 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 it's David going through hardships of physical, spiritual, and emotional pain. And all of us, in some ways, we've dealt with all three in our lives before. And God wants to bring wholeness to it. Let's look at what Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8, 28 to 29. Look at what Paul says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul the apostle is saying very clearly that God could work together, can work everything in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he could bring about a greater good for it. That God can breathe life and redeem those things in our life that often look like death. It's the beautiful part of the gospel message. And so today, whatever wounds that you've sustained in your life, I know some of you have gone through some deep, deep wounds. And I am not standing up here pretending to know that I understand. I don't. But I know our God does. He understands the depth of those wounds. And if you allow him to, he wants to make you whole. He wants to bring shalom into your life regarding those wounds so that you do not have this adverse, this disproportionate reaction when somebody comes near it so that you could begin to have a real deep relationship with him and with other people in your lives. That's the heart. That's the theology of what pain is about. God didn't allow you to go through certain events in your life so that he could bring about this good in your life. No. I want you to understand one thing. God is not evil. Metro. Jesus has no evil to give to you. What you went through was not something that God did. You went through it because we live in a very broken and corrupt world. And as a result of it, we are oftentimes the recipients of evil. And as a result of it, God says, in spite of all of that, he could still make you good. That's the theology of pain that he wants you and I to have. And it's the journey that we are to take. Because if we can take that journey, God can do something really wonderful and beautiful in our lives. Last Saturday, um, I invited a friend over to my home for dinner. Uh, I, it was the very first time he came to my house. In fact, I met this friend about five years ago. I met him um, actually a little bit longer than that, about six and a half years ago. And uh, I met him because our church, uh, every quarter we go to East Jersey State Prison. And when I first met Nelson there, um, I, I was just really drawn to him. He was a, he's a musician. 
And uh, we started writing letters to each other, and we've been pen pals for many, many years. He's been in jail for 17 years, and he just got out. He, went, he was in jail since he was 17 years old. He's now 34. He got out last week. And I said to him, I said, would you like to come and meet my family? And he said he would love to. So I went, I went, I picked him up, and he came to my house, and, and we were walking up my stairs, and he just said, give me a minute. And he was like shaking his hand. He was like trying to psych himself out, taking deep breaths. I'm like, what's wrong? He said, Peter, I'm so nervous right now. He said, I've dreamed of this day where I can meet your family. I'm nervous. And I said, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, Nelson. And so he goes into my house. He meets my family. We sit at the table. We're eating dinner, and he's nervous. In the video, I could tell. He's just, I've never seen him like this. It was actually really cute to see him so nervous. This is a big guy. This is a guy who's strong. He's a part of the Latin Kings. He's like one of the heads of the Latin Kings. This guy's a tough brother. But to see how nervous he was to be with like my, me and my wife and my kids, I could see that. We were enjoying dinner. My kids started talking to him. He started talking to them. They started joking around, started laughing. The mood became a lot more easier for him and more pleasant. And then he said this. He said, Peter, and he said to our family, I just want you guys to know this is the very first time I've ever sat down with a family and had dinner with them. It's like we never did this when I grew up in my home. I was thankful that he shared that. There was a moment where I had to go because I was going to give him one of my older laptops and I was trying to get that working for him. And, and, you know, my family was downstairs and they were all talking. And my girls played tennis and they were talking to him about tennis and he didn't know much about the sport. So they're explaining to him what it means. And I could just see they're laughing, having a great time. And because Nelson is a musician, he saw a piano in my living room and he said, who plays the piano? And so Christina says, I play. And so she went over and she started playing. And then he says, does anyone, do you sing? And Christina says, well, I sing. My sister sings better, Kayla. And so Kayla sat there and they started singing together worship songs and I could just see how he was just drawing closer to them. He was recording, and he was so happy. He was so blessed by them singing and playing music. At the end, I drove him home, and as we were in the car, he said to me, he said, Peter, you know, Metro was always different from the other churches that visited us at East, State, East Jersey State Prison. He said, we were able to identify with you. And he said, I was able to identify with you because you've always shared the pains of your life, the wounds that you've had to sustain, and your wounds about growing up in a home where your father was abusive. That's my story. He said, I was able to work through that. I was able to connect with you because of your story. And I remember as I was coming back home by myself, I, I was just thanking God. Thanking God that he put me on this journey many, many years ago to enter into a path where my wounds could be healed. And I never thought really in a million years that God could use these wounds and bring out a greater good where I can connect with somebody like Nelson and he can be a friend of the family. There is a path towards healing that God wants you to start taking so that you can begin to heal from those wounds, so that they no longer become the reasons why you hurt other people, but rather they become the reasons why you enter into deeper, more powerful relationships with God and with others. So how do we do that? How do we do that? There are a few things that Rob Reamer talks about in his book. The first step in our wounds beginning to heal is when we pursue a no-strings-attached relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want your wounds to be healed, you have to pursue Jesus with no strings attached. You cannot pursue him because you want him to fix you. It doesn't work that way. In fact, if that happens, God probably wouldn't even answer that prayer. Why? Because if he does heal you of that wound, if he does give you the things you're asking for, what usually happens to us when we get it? Adios, God, and we walk away, don't we? You see, for a lot of us, we see Jesus as a vending machine of blessings. 
We put in our change and we look at what he has to offer us and then we choose it, we select it, and we just think pursuing God is really like going to like a vending machine and picking these blessings that we want in our life. Jesus is so much more than that. He doesn't want you to pursue him with strings attached. He wants you to pursue him because you just want to get closer to him. Metro, hear me on this. Our wounds heal when we have intimacy with Jesus. Our wounds begin to heal out of a relationship with him. Look at what it says in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. This was probably one of the worst days in Jesus' ministry. He loses a lot of his disciples this day. Look at verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. This was probably one of the worst days of leadership for Jesus in the three and a half years that he led because he loses the majority of his disciples. Why did he lose them? Because Jesus was a bad leader? No. He lost them because they pursued him for what they can get from him. And when they weren't getting from him, they left. I know sometimes we go to God because we want him to bless us. We want him to heal us. We want him to fix us. But if you really want God to heal you of your wounds, you've got to pursue him with no strings attached. You have to pursue him just because you love him and because Jesus Christ came and died for you on the cross and resurrected from the dead. I love the story of Zacchaeus because it's an amazing story. Here is this short little tax collector. He was trying to see Jesus because Jesus was standing far away ministering. People wouldn't let him see because they knew he was a sinner. They saw him as a crook because he was a crooked tax collector. And Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to hear a teaching. He wanted to get closer for what? For a blessing? No. He just wanted to get closer to Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He climbs up a sycamore tree and he's hanging from that tree to see what Jesus is doing, to hear what he's teaching. Jesus is done. He's walking away and he sees the desire that Zacchaeus has for him. There was no strings attached to it. And so what does Jesus say? He says, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm going to your house and we're having dinner today. I want you to know in the first century, who you ate with was very important. That's why he got a lot of criticism. Jesus got a lot of criticism from eating with a tax collector who's a sinful man. Because you are who you eat with. Whoever you eat with, you've embraced them into your lives. And so Zacchaeus was sitting in uh, with Jesus in his own home. He couldn't believe Jesus stepped into his home. He was so overwhelmed by it. I want you to pay attention to how he responds. Look at Luke 19, verse 8. Here's what Zacchaeus says. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Why was salvation given to him? Was it because he gave all his money away? No, it's because he pursued Jesus with no strings attached. He said, I just want you. Lord, I just want you. That's hard, I know. But if you really want to heal, you need to pursue Jesus with no strings attached. Here's what Rob Reamer says. This is powerful. He says this in his book. These are people who pursue Jesus with strings attached. He says, we are more interested in comfort than we are in wholeness. We are more interested in what God can do to make us feel better than we are interested in God himself. 
It is of paramount importance that we set the right goal in our spiritual journey. Our goal should not be to feel better. Our goal should be to know and be like Jesus. As we get to know and become more like him, our souls will be healthier, and that will bring the healing and wholeness we are looking for. In order for our wounds to be healed, the first step really is to pursue Jesus with no strings attached, that you're going to him because you love him and you're grateful and you want to be in a relationship with him. Jesus has something so profound in the Gospel of John. He says, I want to pursue a friendship with you. And that's his desire. So will you stop seeing Jesus as a vending machine of blessing? Will you stop seeing him and pursuing him because you want him to fix you? Will you just pursue him with no strings attached because you love him and you want to grow in your relationship with him? That's the first step. Second, our wounds begin to heal, begin to experience the shalom that Isaiah talks about where the greater good that Paul talks about happens when we process our past with others. We have to begin to process our past with others. Paul processes his past with Timothy back in 1 Timothy 1. He says, I am the chief of sinners. I was a blasphemer. I persecuted Christians. Paul talks about this. He processes his past with others. If you and I want to get to a pathway towards healing as we pursue Jesus with no strings attached, the other process now is to process your past with other people. Now, there is the counseling component that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, and, and that's important. But there's, a, there's two other relationships I think that can be even more important than even the counseling, although counseling is really important. This is processing your past with people that really know you. The first group of people you need to process your past with is actually your family. Your family. Your family knows things about your family, your family's secrets that you have no idea about. Some of you don't even know some things about your past because you have never really asked. And so I want you to sit down with your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father. and Man, if you have grandparents, even better. Aunts and uncles. And process your past with them. One of the greatest gifts I think you're going to get this Thanksgiving is a gift I am personally going to give to you. If you go to emetro.org slash family questions with an S, there's a hundred questions you can ask your family. You don't have to ask all hundred, but there's a hundred questions that you can ask your family to know more about you, about your story. I did this a few years ago with my family, and, you know, I just have my sisters and my mom. That's it. That's the only family I have living. And I couldn't believe that my sisters saw their life in the home that I grew up in with them completely different than the way I saw it. I learned so much. And you can learn so much as well if you can process your past with your family. So make sure you go to emetro.org slash family questions. Thanksgiving, you're going to probably be with your family. Spend a few hours with them and start to ask them these questions. It will really help you. Really, really will help you. The second group of people that you should process your past with are actually your friends. Your friends who know you, who know a lot about you, who've kind of seen the way you've lived your life. Friends who are Christians. This is important because they need to also be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You should just process your past with them because they can give you a perspective that you've never seen before. They can give you suggestions that you will end up doing that will help you to grow and be a better person in the end so that your wounds could be healed. Really. Years ago, about six, seven years ago, I was hanging out with my good buddy, Alex, and we were in Times Square. He came and visited me. We were just hanging out, and I just said to him, I said, Alex, you know, I'm going to go on sabbatical next year, but I don't know what to do with my sabbatical. I don't know where to go or anything like that. And he said to me, he said, Peter, I got a suggestion for you. 
why don't you go to South Korea for your entire sabbatical with your family? And I looked at him and I said, why? Why do you want me to go to South Korea? Alex knows everything about me. He's seen, he knows my past, but he's also seen the way I've interacted with my family and my kids. He said, Peter, the reason why I think you need to go and spend your sabbatical in South Korea is because you still have shame in being Korean. Because of how you grew up, how kids made fun of you, there is still the sense of shame that you hold, that I see you holding, and you're ashamed to be Korean. He says, go back to your birth city. Go visit the place where you lived. Go meet relatives you've never met before. Start learning. And then he said this to me. He said, find out what your Korean name means. And I didn't know what my Korean, he, I know my Korean name, but, you know, every Korean name has a meaning. And I didn't know the name, the meaning of my Korean name. My Korean name is Chung Kun. And I remember years ago when I met my wife, and she asked me what my Korean name was. When I said my name was Chung Kun, she made fun of me. She said, that is like an old, old southern name. Like parents don't name their kids Chungun like back in the 70s. Like that's, that's like a name for like the early 1900s. It's like today if you had a child and you name your son Bubba. Nobody names their kid Bubba today in 2020. It's just not normal. So I remember when she said that, she started laughing. She goes, oh my God, I can't believe your parents gave you that name Chungun. I had shame even in my name. And so Alex says, go to Korea and find out what your name means. All I know about my name was that my parents at the time, they paid somebody, this guy, I guess he was like a fortune teller, and they paid him to give me a name. And this guy, quote unquote, gives names, and then that name, whatever it means, they can live out. That's all I knew, right? But I, I didn't know what the meaning of it was. My mom didn't know either. Went to Korea for two months with my wife and my kids, and I applied for a grant. I got it. Best, one of the best two months of my life. Learned so much, met relatives I never met before, visited the hospital that I was born, visited the home that I actually lived in for three months before I came to the United States. Really cool. I had lunch with my aunt, and my aunt is an English teacher. She's been teaching English for decades. And she also knows the Chinese characters. And what I learned is that in order to know what your name means, you have to know the Chinese characters, meaning you have to write out your Korean name in Chinese. And through that Chinese character, you'll be able to know what your name means. And so I asked her, I said, Auntie, would you let me know what the meaning of my name is? And so she got a napkin, she got her pen, and she wrote it out in Chinese characters. And she said, the literal translation of your name means deep roots. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then she said, but the best English translation of your name, it means righteous roots. I said, can I have that napkin? She gave it to me. I put it in my pocket. And then I looked at my wife and I said, how do you like me now, baby? I couldn't believe my name means righteous roots. I couldn't believe my parents gave me that name even before they knew I was going to be a pastor. I remember telling Alex that, and he doesn't call me Peter anymore. He calls me Chung-gun. And when I call him, he has that on his phone. I would have never been able to learn about this side of my life. And today, standing here before you, thanking God that God made me Korean, if it wasn't for a friend like Alex who, told me, who helped me process my past. Process your past with others. That's how you begin to heal from your wounds. And the very last step in how wounds begin to heal, how we become, how we become whole, where God can breathe in a greater good is when we go through redemptive suffering. It's when we go through redemptive suffering. Listen, whenever you have to revisit a wound, it's painful. 
It's not going to be easy. It's suffering. But redemptive suffering is when you invite Jesus to be a part of it. It's when you invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of it and you ask yourself, where are you, Jesus? It's when you go back to that event and you see it at that point with God and you look for where Jesus is and you also listen to what he might be saying to you. That's redemptive suffering. It's not just, you shouldn't just go back and revisit a wound just for the sake of revisiting it, no. Redemptive suffering is when you invite Jesus Christ a part of the process and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll guide you through it and you go to that event and you ask yourself in that most tragic wound in your life, you say, Jesus, where are you? And what are you saying to me? And listening in. Some people struggle with this. They struggle with this and Rob calls this introspection. I call it the paralysis of analysis maybe. Uh, introspection, he says, is a disease of the soul in which your eyes are focused on yourself. When you have introspection, when you do this, some of you, what introspection really is, is that as you go through this and you think you hear from Jesus and you're saying, is that Jesus or is that me? Hmm, I don't know if that's me or if it's Jesus. How can I be certain that that's Jesus and it's not me? That's introspection. It's a disease. What he calls this, he's saying it's toxic shame. You're just making this way too much about yourself. You got to let it go and you got to trust that Jesus is with you and you just have to learn to flow. You got to flow with God and the Holy Spirit and you got to trust that when you revisit a room with Jesus, that that's Jesus speaking and it's not you. Don't make that about yourself at that time. Just free flow and hear from the Lord and you'll let God really minister to you through that. It's a beautiful thing when we can do that. You see, God is omnipresent. And because he's omnipresent, he was present in your past, even in those horrific events that has happened in your life. He's present there, and we have to look for him, and we have to hear what he might be saying to us. We experience healing from our wounds. We get to this place of wholeness that Isaiah talks about, and as Paul talks about, that God can bring a greater good in whatever wounds we've sustained in our lives when we can go through redemptive suffering. It's not easy. It's hard, I know. But if you ever want healing from it, you're going to have to go through that. Redemptive suffering. Last year, uh, last year and a half, I started this doctoral program, and um, Rob Reamer, the author of Soul Care, he was the first professor to teach the class, and he was teaching Soul Care. And uh, he was on this lesson and, uh, on healing wounds, and when he was done, uh, he just said, well, I need you all now. I'm going to take you through a wound. And I remember just saying, okay, all right, you know, like I got a lot of them. Which one do you want me to pick? And he just said, just pick any wound. And so I did. It was when I was in the fourth grade, and uh, I, my, it was in the evening. My sister was trying to help me with my math homework. I couldn't get the math. I really couldn't. I, she was helping me the best she could. She's older than me, and she thinks it's just such a no-brainer, but for me it was really hard. And so I I just told her I didn't know what it was. I, I couldn't get it. She got so frustrated and angry. She started yelling at me. She started calling me stupid and just getting really aggressive with me. And I just got upset. And we started fighting, yelling at each other and fighting. My father was in the living room with my mother and my other sister. And they were watching TV. And they couldn't even watch the TV because we were yelling and fighting so much. And so my father simply said, Peter, shut up. And I remember just it was the heat of the moment because I was so angry at my sister when I heard that. I just said, Dad, F you. And I remember when I said that, I knew that I was going to get the greatest beating of my life. He got up out of that chair, 
and I saw his eyes. That, those are the eyes that I saw when he was drunk. He came over to me, and I was on my bed, and I knew it was going to be bad. He grabs me by my hair, literally lifts my whole body, and throws me on the ground, and he just goes it at me, gets very aggressive, starts beating me. And usually when I'm being hit like that, and I'm crying like that, my rescuer is my mom. She would always come and do whatever she can so that my father wouldn't hit me like that. And many times she would take the blows. So as my father was beating me, I was just waiting for my mom. I just thought it was just going to be moments when she's going to come and rescue me. And so I looked to see what she's doing, and I was horrified because all she was doing was watching TV, completely ignoring what was happening to me. And how do you think a fourth grader interprets that? I just thought, oh, I guess I deserve this. I guess I deserve this. And um, Rob basically said, okay, find Jesus. And so I do. I look for Jesus, and I see Jesus hovering over me, and he's whispering something into my ear, and he says, what is he saying? And I heard Jesus say, Peter, you don't deserve this. Peter, you don't deserve this. And I remember just looking at Jesus and I just said, really? Like, I didn't deserve that, but I did curse him out. And Jesus says, you didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve to be beat like that. And I remember just, it wasn't even a cry at that moment. I was wailing. And as I was wailing, I was able to look at my mom and I was able to say, mom, you should have came and saved me. I don't, I didn't deserve that. I looked at my sister and I said, Ellen, you shouldn't have called me stupid. I just didn't know some math. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I know I deserve discipline in some ways, but I didn't deserve that kind of discipline because that wasn't discipline, that was abuse. I wept and I cried for about 90 minutes. And it was hard. It was painful. After the class was over, I got in my car and I, couldn't, and I still started crying. I could not control the tears. About 90 minutes of crying, of suffering. And God healed me of that moment. There was a redemptiveness to it. You know why? I've been in counseling for about 10 years. And one of the things I could not get my counselor to help me with, I couldn't figure this out, was that whenever my kids did something that I told them not to do, and they would get hurt physically from it, I would actually say to them, you deserve it. You deserve it. Like years ago when Christian was little, he would run around the house, we have hardwood floors, and he would have his socks on. I'd say, Christian, take off your socks. You're going to hurt yourself if you fall down. And he said, no, I'm not going to take it off. He said, suit yourself. And he fell, and he hit his head on the floor. My wife, like any normal parent, would go there and attend to their child. I would just say to him, you deserve it. You deserve it. And I didn't know why I kept doing that. I, I, it was so hard for me. My counselors couldn't help me with this as I was trying to help them process this with me. And that 90 minutes of crying, God finally revealed to me why I was like that. It was because I had an unhealed wound when I was in fourth grade where I believed the beating that I took, I truly deserved from my father. God healed me of that wound and delivered me from that. And you know, um, today, uh, I stand here before you, and uh, yesterday was the fifth year anniversary 
of my father's passing. And it was a very emotional day for me. Uh, I went to go visit his gravesite. And what I want you to know is that I'm just so grateful that I've gotten to a place in my life where I actually miss him. Because I went through the journey of trying to patch my relationship with this man, grow my relationship with him, and I did. And I would say the past 25 years while he was alive, I did my best to be the son, the best son I could be, to learn about him and why he is the way he is, to forgive him, to love him and care for him. And as I stood at his gravesite yesterday, I was just so thankful to God because I actually miss him. And I wish he was here with me today because I've learned that even though this man has given me a lot of bad things and he's caused a lot of wounds in my life, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for him. There's so many good things that make him who he is. Healing of the wounds helped me to see the beauty of who my father is, even though there's some things that don't make him beautiful. and allows me to have peace, shalom, wholeness. And God could use even the wounds and bring about something good in it. Metro Community Church, I know you have wounds. I know there are things in your life that you have sustained. Pursue Jesus, not to fix those wounds. Pursue him with no strings attached. And in that relationship, he will begin to heal your wounds. Process your past with other people, your family, with some spiritual friends to help you to understand so that you can begin to grow as you understand so that you can begin to experience healing and be willing to go through redemptive suffering as hard as it is. Go back and ask Jesus, what do you want to say to me at this moment? And let him minister to you. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I just pray for our church, our community. And if this resonated with someone, I, I pray that, God, that you would really speak deeply into their lives. And, God, that they would begin the journey of these three things that we talked about so they could be made whole, so that they can experience shalom in their wounds. Maybe they've never, ever experienced that before. I pray, God, you'll help them to pursue you with no strings attached. You'll help them to process their past with others. And God, that you'll help them, Lord, to live their lives in such a way where they're willing to relive, go back to those wounds that have really hurt them. And God, you would redeem it. That they would find you, Jesus, where you were in that event. And they would hear what you want to say to them at that point. So God, I pray you'll just be with our church and our community. We can't do this without you. We really do need you. And so, God, I pray that you'll just be with us. And I pray that uh, there will be deep soul care and soul healing um, in my brother's and sister's life. Bless the soul groups as they meet, as they talk about wounds. I pray you would bless them. And it will be an opportunity where we can go revisit our wounds with some brothers and sisters in Christ who will love and support us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, before we get to the next steps, I just want to, some of you, this has really um, overwhelmed you. This whole series has. And for some of you, um, 
maybe you feel really alone and you don't feel like you have people in your life where you can take this journey with. And maybe this series has brought unresolved emotions and wounds and feelings that you were never really prepared to deal with. I want to encourage you that there's a, uh, on our website, emetro.org slash help. If you go there, there are resources that you can participate in and ask for to get some help so that you don't have to go through this alone because your wounds can never be healed by yourself. It's impossible. And if you feel very vulnerable, maybe you feel like perhaps maybe you're in a precarious place right now, please go to emetro.org slash help or I want to encourage you to go to the virtual prayer room right now, emetro.org slash pray and meet with one of our pastors. And maybe that could be the beginning process of you setting up an opportunity for you to have somebody journey with you to the haunted house of your soul. There's some next steps that I want you to take. Here, here they are. If you, have, if you have your communication card, please click on that on your app. And I want you guys to really do this. All of you, many of you have our app, so please open it up. Put your name on the card and take these next steps. All right? First, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please, please check that off. Second, I will process my past with someone that I trust this week. Thanksgiving is coming. Maybe you're with a family that you don't normally see, a family member. Maybe you need to do that. You can get them, get them on Zoom or you can maybe meet them one-on-one. -on -one. Third, I will receive prayer today through Metro's virtual prayer rooms. Many of you need to do this. There's no shame in this. There's only God. So I encourage you to go to the prayer rooms, emetro.org slash pray. Four, uh, please send me more information about the virtual soul care conference from January 14th to the 16th. Let me just stop here for a moment. One of the best things you can do for yourselves and your soul is to actually sign up and register for the Soul Care Conference on January 14th to the 16th. It's the best thing that you can do, honestly, because I'm going, to be, I'm going to be really clear here. There's only so much you can get from a sermon on a Sunday, and there's really so much you can get even from our small groups that we get together with. The Virtual Soul Care Conference is you connecting with Rob Reamer through this conference, and he'll go even deeper into these topics to help you experience deep healing really is a life changer. I've been through it last year. Many of our staff members and our leaders have done it. It's transformed their lives. It's virtual, but you get to still interact with Rob in all those ways. So I want to encourage you, January 14th to the 16th, check that off. I will email you this week with all that information of where to register for that conference. Again, it's virtual, all right? Fifth, I will pray about how I can give generously to the Christmas offering. So today we start our 10-week journey of raising funds for the Christmas offering. And this is going to be key. It's going to be important for us to do this because we need to support Metro Community Center, the things that we're doing here in Englewood, Zimele, which is huge. Um, the pandemic has only made it even more challenging. They need our support even more. Um, our missionaries, the three missionaries that we support, and also Rooted Ministries with Pastor Kevin Butcher. Uh, pastors are struggling today. They really are. And I love his ministry because he really focuses on blessing and, and ministering to them. So pray about how you can give generously. We're going to start today, but pray about how you can give generously to it. And the very last thing, please sign me up for the partnership class on Sunday, December 6th. It's just learning what it means to be a partner at Metro Community Church. You should have attended Connections, Newcomers Connections first before you go to partnership class. But uh, if you have, please check that off. We'll get more information to you. It's in a couple weeks, and I'd love to meet you via Zoom and, and share with you a little bit about what it means to be a partner here at Metro Community Church.